The U.S. education system is lacking, especially when it comes to history. Pick up a textbook and oftentimes African-American history, Latinx history, and indigenous history are presented as side characters of the Great American Project. And it's not different for Asian-American history. But there's a new book suggesting ways to bring Asian-American history into the classroom, even if it's not part of the state curriculum. This is Stateside. I'm April Baer. Noreen Nassim Rodriguez is an assistant professor of elementary education and educational justice at Michigan State. She and her colleagues, Sohyun An and Esther June Kim, have co-authored this new book. It's called Teaching Asian America in Elementary Classrooms. Thanks for being with us, Noreen. Thank you. Jay Lee is a fifth grade teacher at Angel Elementary School in Ann Arbor. We've invited her for a perspective on the lived experience of sharing history with younger students. Hi, Jay. Thank you for joining us. Thanks so much for having us. Noreen, I know that you identify when people ask as Pakipino, <laughs> Pakistani and Filipino, and you've been through the American education system yourself. Can I just ask, what did Asian American studies look like for you growing up? Or did it, how did these issues come up in the classroom? They didn't. I was an Asian American kid in San Antonio, Texas. So majority Mexican Americans in the city, in the state, and none of us really saw ourselves reflected. I mean, I, was, I went to elementary school in the 80s. So I was looking. People corrected me when I pronounced things the way that my mother did. So she would say things like comfortable and hippopotamus. And so that's what I would say, because that's what I had always heard. And people would laugh at me. And then I'd be like, okay, so there are some things that I know from home that are clearly not the same at school, right? So like, that became clear very early. But whenever these things that I was looking for, like, I was raised Muslim, never heard about Islam. You know, my grandmother and my aunts lived with me when I was little. I heard Tagalog in the house. My dad would be on the phone and he'd be speaking in Urdu. When they would hang out with their friends, they would speak those languages, never present in school, never mentioned in school. And truly, it wasn't until college that I even had exposure to any sort of Asian American literature. The story that I share with the undergraduates that I work with, the, the future teachers I work with, when I teach social studies methods is when I was in 10th grade, my U.S. history teacher asked me and only me where my people were from. And I, I don't know how I responded in that moment, but I do know after that, I did not care about U.S. history. I felt like that woman had nothing to teach me because she saw me as some weirdo. And after she asked me that question, she asked my friend who's Vietnamese American if her family ate dog. And so I was just like the level Ugh. of ignorance that I'm seeing from you right now is unbelievable and I'm done. So the fact that I do social studies work at all is is extraordinary, I think, because I had such bad experiences with it and I felt so detached. And I just want it to be better for people today. And particularly, I have kids in public school, like they deserve better. And we have the resources now to change the kinds of texts and stories that are presented to kids starting as early as preschool. So why not do that? Thinking back, I, I kind of feel like even in districts where there were some things mentioned and taught. I I remember learning about internment camps on the West Coast and in other parts of the country, and that was kind of it. I mean, just the the narrative of people having been marginalized was kind of the beginning and the end of what I heard. 
Jay, like I mentioned, you teach fifth grade in Michigan right now. If we just looked at curriculum that you started with, was there much presence for Asian American stories and, and history? No. <laughs> I'll be honest, Frank, no. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, I didn't come to that realization until, you know, Asian American Pacific Islanders Month was actually emphasized in the district. And then, like, I didn't make that connection because as an Asian American teacher, I tell my students about my personal stories, just like as a teacher and student, you know, building that relationship. So, you know, unfortunately and sadly that, you know, there aren't a much emphasis like across the board in curriculum about, you know, Asian American culture and heritage. Noreen, in the book, you recommend an approach where Asian American stories find their way uh, intent with intention across all areas of curriculum. Sure, history, but also phys ed, science, and math. What changes when Asian American presence and, and stories are more integrated in that way? I think one of the words that people use a lot is is humanizing. It's humanizing pedagogy when we actually make sure that that children understand that all people are fully human and need, and deserve respect and care and attention. When when Jay was talking, it reminded me of when I was a first grade teacher, actually, and my students would refer to anything Asian as Chino. I was a bilingual teacher, so mostly Spanish speaking students. And, you know, I realized I'm probably going to be the only Asian American teacher they have. This was in Austin, Texas, right? And so it became very clear to me that whenever I had an, an opportunity, I needed to raise their awareness around that. And sometimes that's going to be very informal. So one of the teachers that I worked with is Chinese American, and she would bring her lunch to school and her kids would see her like heating it up in the microwave. And they'd say, oh, is that is that Chinese food? And she'd say, no, it's spaghetti. But there's just this assumption, right? And kids don't know. And so it's really our job to offer that that clarification and that information, whether it's in the middle of a history lesson or if it's when they're saying something that's stereotypical that they don't know is stereotypical, just offering that clarity, right? And so I think elementary teachers have a really unique opportunity because in most cases, they teach the same group of students all day long. They're teaching all of those subjects. And so they can find ways to bring in Asian American stories and experiences and voices across the curriculum. Them, right. So using a picture book that introduces South Asian American stories or just has characters who are Asian American just doing everyday kid things. We don't always have to talk about our ethnicity and culture and identity. We can just be kids who are going on adventures and like sneaking out beyond where we're supposed to go to look for bugs. Like we can do very everyday things, but just to see an Asian American character doing that is a big deal because it's so rare. So I think the book just really urges teachers to find those spaces and just gives a like a wealth of resources because districts aren't offering professional development on this. If you just Google it, you'll find random stuff and you don't necessarily know what's good and what's not. You may not have some of these books in your school's library. And so um, we just want to make sure that teachers have the resources they need to, to actually make this happen, even if they don't necessarily have the space in their English language arts curriculum to do it. There are other ways that they can bring these stories to the forefront. That's a good point. I know that your book, Noreen, has been described as the first resource of its kind for elementary educators. And I mean, we're not talking about that many more resources at the middle school and high school levels. Jay, what kind of what kind of resources are really helpful when you're sitting down for lesson plans 
maybe especially around history? Because I'm at the elementary level, I'd like to see more books, you know, children's books, picture books, things that students can relate to. It's it's hard to find resources that connect to a wide variety of Asian American students. For example, like the Lunar New Year. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of books around, you know, the Chinese New Year. But I'm Korean and my New Year isn't the same as the Chinese New Year. We do follow the lunar calendar. That's why our New Year's land on the same week. But the celebration isn't the same. So, you know, it's coming up. And so one thing that I've done like every year is like, I would read books about, you know, the Chinese New Year, but I would also inform my students that, you know, there's a lot of cultures that celebrate New Year's and around this time because they follow the lunar calendar. And so, you know, I try to tell them like, you know, a better term or, you know, more accurate term would be a lunar, the lunar New Year. And their fifth graders are receptive and they're like, oh, yeah. So those are things as an elementary teacher that I would love to see. And I think my, you know, colleagues would appreciate that, too. Right. Noreen, you you do deal many times in the book with the fact that there are many Asian American experiences. You know, this is anything but a monoculture. How what advice do you have for educators who are trying to, you know, do justice to, a, you know, a diversity of stories even within Asian American culture? I think it's always easiest to start with who's in front of you in the classroom. So if you have Asian American students, then, you know, you may have families who are open to sharing um, their stories by visiting the classroom. They might be able to help you vet books and 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 think through, okay, well, I'm not familiar with any of these books that are on this list that I found online, but if I check them out from the library, could you look at them and let me know which ones you think are culturally accurate? Because there's also a lot of stuff that is not accurate and not great. Um, and then also thinking about not just your own like school community, but thinking about the city that you're in or the town that you're in, the state that you're in, like what are some of those more prominent Asian American groups? Um, In Michigan, you know, we have very distinct clusters of Asian um, immigrants based on geography. And and many, many times they have come to different parts of the state because of particular professions, um, because of particular access via visas that, you know, like a tech company will be able to recruit particular um, kinds of immigrants um, from particular countries. So, starting with where you are and who is closest to you, I think is always the easiest way to go. And then of course, who do you have access to? So if you happen to to have really good friends um, or family members who are Asian American that can share some of those insights with you, I think that's always useful because there's so many nuances um, about any culture that you don't belong to that you wouldn't understand just off the cuff, right? So finding insiders that can offer you some of that insight is really important. Like Jay's point around um, Korean New Year, right? So so making sure that you can find people that can offer that insight to you or potentially visit your students, that makes the learning really come alive, right? Because they care personally about it. We need to take a break. More with Noreen Nassim Rodriguez and Jay Lee in just a minute. Support for Michigan Public's stateside podcast comes from Lake Trust Credit Union, working to empower financial well-being for Michigan consumers, businesses, and communities. Committed to financial solutions and advice to support people and families. More information at laketrust.org. Support for the stateside podcast comes from Kalamazoo College 
offering a personalized education that combines critical thinking, curiosity, and creativity. Committed to preparing students for meaningful careers that make a positive impact on the world. More at kzoo.edu. Noreen, the book includes recommendations for things like citizenship and immigration. Also, topics like war and displacement. This isn't always super light content. Why do you feel it's important to at least make kids aware of those things at the elementary level? I think it can be difficult content if you're not used to talking about it. But for a lot of Asian American families, and I'm particularly thinking about Southeast Asian American families, their families are here as a result of war and displacement. They have gone through all kinds of trauma that sometimes is discussed in the home and sometimes isn't. But these young people know that it's there. They know that their families have undergone incredible challenges, um, that there's maybe some silences around those challenges, but there's they can sense it. They know it. And so I think it's important to recognize that. Um, we we cover things like immigration in ways that go beyond the typical American narrative presented in elementary U.S. history textbooks and curriculum, because we really want to think about about stories beyond this America as the land of opportunity, about this pulling yourselves up by your bootstraps and then assimilating, learning English, working hard, being successful. It's not always like that. And it's not always like that because of structures that prevent that. And oftentimes teachers maybe don't know that history in elementary education preparation programs. Teachers have to teach everything. So they don't have the same in-depth uh, social studies, historical knowledge that a secondary teacher would because they have to do everything. They have to teach kids numerical fluency. They have to teach kids letters and sounds and how to read and how to understand what you're reading, right? Like they just have so much they have to do that we can't expect elementary teachers to also know all of these histories of all of these marginalized groups that they themselves were never taught about, right? So when we talk about war and displacement, we want teachers to do it in ways that are humanizing. You know, again, that word's really important. Many times when war is taught, and war is taught a lot, like war is really kind of the thread of American history as is taught in K through 12 schools for the most mm -hmm. part, because yeah. we're thinking about the American Revolution, the Civil War, and then we have World War One, World War Two, Vietnam, Korean War, 9-11, maybe usually that's at the end of, of the school year. So who knows if you actually get past 1970, but war is really a guiding thread. In U.S. history, but it's often taught from the perspective of white military leaders, never from the perspective of the Vietnamese, the Hmong, the Lao, the people who were actually impacted incredibly severely, displaced, families murdered, right? Like all of these things are never part of that narrative. And I, I think anybody who spends any time around kids would be happy to tell you <laughs> that even, you know, as much as we may wish for a world where they didn't have to know about these things, kids do have questions about the heavier events in society. I mean, I'd, I'd be shocked, you know, to get through a classroom where difficult questions didn't come up. Jay, you teach in a relatively diverse district. I was curious what kinds of reactions you hear from parents when their children get to see stories about kids who may actually look like them and live like them or maybe what you what you may come up against for parents who are new to the need for this kind of education 
I feel fortunate to be at a very diverse school and parents are open. A lot of times I'll tell them like where I grew up. I grew up in a very diverse community um, with a lot of Pacific Islanders. And so I tell them like where I'm from. And then the next day after curriculum night, I have parents coming like, oh, we searched the island up with the kids and they're so intrigued <laughs> and like, you know, it looks beautiful. Or, you know, I had a parent one day um, at conferences come to me and say, I'm so glad my child can see, you know, another Asian person being a teacher and she looks up to you and she's never had any Asian teachers in the past. And just seeing you in fifth grade, she just has someone to look up to. And so when I hear those feedback, it's just like I didn't intend to be that figure, but being able to empower these kids, you know, seeing like, you know, Grace Lynn said, you know, window books and, you know, mirror books and the kids being able to see a reflection of themselves. I think it's very powerful. And I've gotten, you know, really positive feedback from parents. Noreen, uh, you're a Texan. <laughs> and I know that I know that a lot of the legislation restricting discussion of human diversity in education has been a little more focused toward higher ed. But I I know that you're also very much aware of the curriculum conversations that are going around in in districts that may not be as diverse and may not have embraced the importance of representing a whole variety of, of students and human experiences. What what advice do you have for educators or even just families who are running up against some resistance about why this would be necessary? Well, in Texas, it's absolutely impacting K through 12. When, like without a doubt. I mean, we, we've seen pictures on social media where administrators are going into teachers' classrooms and taping off libraries, and they're only allowed to do read-alouds of books that are district approved. So it's it's serious. And it's, it's not just Texas, right? It's happening in Georgia. It's happening in Iowa. I, I've been hearing things that even in parts of Western Michigan, it's been happening. So, you know, I think my advice is really context dependent. So one thing that the folks that want to ban books that represent diverse experiences are really good at is being strategic. They have scripts. They're going to school boards with notes prepared by other people, um, and they're just kind of reading these talking points. And folks who want diverse books and more authentic and accurate diverse representation shared in schools are not as strategic. And so I think that's going to be a big a big piece in moving forward that we need to think about. So for the families of Jay's students, if they like what she's doing, it's great that they're giving her that direct feedback, but they also need to make sure that her principal knows, the superintendent knows, the head of curriculum for the school district knows. Like, we need to be really clear about what we want to see. And if we want to see more diverse books, we need to shout it from the top of the mountains. We need to send all the emails and let all the people know so that those teachers are encouraged to continue doing that work. So if you're not able to do this kind of um, more inclusive, diverse um, work in your, your daily classroom teaching, there are opportunities outside of schools. I know in Georgia, they started doing Asian American studies freedom schools, like following the models that, you know, Black communities have had in place for decades. If you can't get it in school, how can you do it outside of school? When I was in Iowa, there was a group of teens that were working for a domestic violence nonprofit, or they were volunteering, and they invited me every year to come give a talk about Asian American histories that they never learned in school. And um, two of the high schoolers were so interested in one of the topics that I mentioned around how Iowa was the only state that created a state-run refugee resettlement agency that they wanted to know more. And I was like, I, I actually just know a little bit, but there's this professor at this Iowa university that you should talk to. They created a podcast 
and went over that whole history. So I feel like if you're not able to access this in schools, that doesn't mean that you can't get it anywhere else. And so finding communities, building a community of folks that want to do this learning outside of school. Um, there are several really approachable books out now that weren't around 10 years ago. Um, and one of my favorite Asian American authors, Christina Sunturnvat, is releasing a young readers version of one of my favorite books, The Making of Asian America by Erica Lee. And so that's going to be like very middle school friendly. Even some advanced fourth and fifth grade readers could definitely handle that. And so there are resources that they can access outside of the school day. And so that's definitely something that family and community members can take up if they want this to happen, but they're in a place where the school district or the school leaders don't have the will to make it happen during the school day. That's the Stateside Podcast today. I'm April Bear. You can find more full episodes of our broadcast show at michiganpublic.org. Today's podcast was produced by Rachel Ishikawa. Other producers on the show are Mike Blank, Ronia Kavansag, Mercedes Mejia, and April Van Buren. Our interns are Olivia Moradian and Lauren Neong. Our executive producer is Laura Weber Davis. Music for the pod comes from Blue Dot Sessions and from Audio Network. Thank you so much for listening. We'll see you next time. Bye-bye.